Let's bow in a word of prayer together. God, we praise you. We thank you that you love us. God, I pray that the cries of our heart would just scream how much we love you. God, open our eyes, our hearts this morning. May we hear whatever it is you'd have us hear. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. We are wired for worship. You know, we've been talking that deep in our DNA is a desire to worship. It's one of the reasons we were created. In other words, we were made to worship. And I know that when we devote ourselves to worship, that something happens. Worship changes us. It, it, It marks us. And I'll just bet you that some of you, when you started driving to church today, that some of you, as you're driving, are kind of going through things, and you know you've got issues. You know you've got problems. You've got things that you can't solve or, or fix. And you came here this morning with kind of a, a knot in your stomach of something you're struggling with or worried about or afraid of, and it, it just keeps twisting. But when the music started... Some of you started worshiping. Some of you started singing and focusing your heart on worship, on God. And things shifted. I mean, for instance, as you were singing uh, Everlasting God, it says, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, our hope our strong deliverer. And some of you, as you sang words like that, something happened inside you. A kind of uh, hope rose up inside of you. And you started thinking, there is hope for my life. That God has the power to deal with the situation, to deliver me. You began to believe that with God, all things really are possible in your life. You know, Paul, when he was in prison, he wrote these words. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, everything I face, I can handle because Christ will give me strength. And a thought like that, when it enters your mind, it just changes you. When you worship, it's born inside you. Suddenly, it occurs to you that the God that delivered David from Goliath or Daniel from the lions did, the the God that uh, took Jonah out of the belly of a great fish, all of a sudden it hits you that God can deliver you. And that thought crossed your mind, that that deliverance was really possible. I mean, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. But in the back of your mind, you were going... But maybe, just maybe. I'll bet some of you came to church today and your, your heart was kind of cold, kind of distant to God. Maybe there's sin in your life and you, you've been kind of uh, pushing God to the side, holding on to that sin and kind of resisting the, the Holy Spirit in your life, you know, pushing back that conviction, you know, kind of keeping it at bay a little bit. 
Some of you, maybe God's been guiding you uh, this way. But you keep heading another way in your life. Or, or maybe, maybe God's been pressing you to serve in some area. And inside, it's kind of a war. You're, you're fighting it off, going, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I'm not taking that step. No way. And then you started singing. So maybe when you were singing uh, Made to Worship, you know, the words that says, you and I were made to worship, we're called to love, we're forgiven and free. You know, you and I embrace surrender, choose to believe. You and I, we will see who we were meant to be. And I'll bet you, some of you, as you sang those words, you felt the ice begin to melt in your heart. Some of you, that kind of closed that gap, that distance between you and God. And you started to see your life through God's eyes. And here's what happened. You came to church, and you started worshiping, and you got ambushed by God. In fact, the truth be known, you are not the same as you were an hour ago. And you're going to leave here going, what if I hadn't come to church today? And I hear it all the time. You know, people will catch me and go, I almost didn't come to church today. But I'm so glad I did. You know, I've talked in this series that we worship because God is worthy of our worship. We worship because of who God is, what God has done. We do not worship to get something. We worship just because God is worthy of our worship. But get this, because God's so good, when we worship, something happens in our lives. You know, your heart gets full of joy. You, you, you get grateful for what God has, has done in, in your life. You get filled with, with confidence or hope. In worship, we're reminded that God's able. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said, in Matthew, uh, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Read with me. But with God, everything is possible. Friends, when we have a surrendered spirit, a worshiping mind, all of a sudden, things happen inside us. You know, you, you want to avoid sin when you worship. You want to break free from whatever it is. I mean, we're, we are humbled in worship. You know, we get to a point where we genuinely want to share our faith, to tell other people about how great God is and what he's done in our life. You know, we begin to look forward to a day when broken and wounded souls are made whole. And when you worship, friends, it just happens. We are changed. Some of you were changed this morning. But get this, when we refuse to worship, something else happens in our life. You know, I, I get very anxious about tomorrow and what's going to happen. I, I find when I don't worship, I get envious of 
other people, what they have or what I don't have. You know, my, my gratitude kind of gets choked out. I become negative in my life. I become self-centered. I become judgmental. I get discouraged, easily defeated by setbacks. That is the result of a non-worshiping mind. And here's my question for you today. What kind of mind do you want to have? Or let's make it a little more personal. What kind of life do you want to have? You know, Psalm 73 kind of paints a very, very clear picture of the difference between a non-worshipping heart and mind and a worshipping heart and mind. And it's a, it's a wonderful read. I'd encourage you uh, to read that whole chapter sometime this week. But the psalmist starts out, and he says this, Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Here he is. He's going to tell us what it is he's struggling with. For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist is kind of looking around. Looking around at people around him. And he sees people who want nothing to do with God. And they're prospering. In fact, he looks at their life and he thinks, it looks pretty good. And he starts getting envious. You know how this goes, right? I mean, jealousy kicks in. You see another person. You see another person's situation. And in your mind, you're going, I wish I had that person's job. I wish I had that person's marriage. I wish I had that person's personality or title. You know, I wish I had their, their waistline or their hairline or their bottom line or whatever. True? <laughs> now, I know as I'm saying that, some of you are going, well, I don't have any envy problems. <laughs> really? <laughs> Here's a little test for you. Your biggest rival, whoever it is, that just puts you on tilt, gets a huge promotion, loses 25 pounds, builds a brand new home, gets married to an ex-supermodel turned neurosurgeon, <laughs> and your only response is, good for them. Way to go. I am so thrilled for them. I mean... Friends, it's easy to envy. It's easy to envy people. It's easy to envy situations. The, the psalmist is struggling. In fact, the first 14 verses, and again, I'd encourage you to read this. We're not going to go through it all, but he is complaining. He is ranting and raving, you know. He's like, they don't have financial problems. You know, they look really good. Their careers, they're advancing. They've got the good life. They're beautiful people. I don't understand it. I don't understand, God. They push you to the sidelines. Yet everything appears so easy for them. 
Their life is turning out just the way they want. And then he kind of shifts and goes, and here I am trying to live the right kind of life, trying to live a God-centered life, yet I'm in worse shape. Can you feel that tension? Have you ever been there? You know, he's looking at the defiant way of life, and it appears their life is great. It appears as though God is doing nothing. And on the other side, he's looking at his life going, I go to church, I read my Bible, I I tithe on my salary, I avoid all the major sins, and what's the payoff? Come on. I mean, what good is it doing? I'm not getting a bigger house. I'm not getting a newer car. I'm not getting any breaks. And friends, the psalmist is living with this kind of toxic mentality. It's toxic. Don't raise your hand, but do you ever have thoughts like that? I mean, it's like a runaway train. Finally, the the psalmist realizes that he's in trouble, that it's going to kill him if he continues on, that it's going to destroy his life and his soul. And he kind of hits the pause button. He says, if I had said, I will talk on in this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. That's kind of a strange comment. But I want you to notice, he immediately starts talking about the importance of community. He's talking about his sense of loyalty to the community of faith. The people that are keeping him in the game. He's saying, you know, my envy could make me disloyal. My envy could make me abandon everything that is important to me. In fact, he continues on. He says, but when I thought how to understand it, it seemed a wearisome task to me. I'm powerless. I, I can't make sense of this stuff anymore. And he is hanging on to his spiritual integrity by a very, very thin thread. Like some of you. I mean, on one hand, if he gives in to his cynicism, he will betray everything that gives his life meaning. He'll betray that everything that's given him identity if he continues down that track. He's going to abandon the one community where he belongs and where he belongs to God. On the other hand, the unfairness of life, his unhappiness, has driven him to the brink of despair in his life. He is confused, he's discouraged, he's bitter, he's unhappy, he's far from God, he's exhausted, he's basically screaming, I can't make sense out of this stuff. And then he hits a tipping point. Friends, this is huge. He hits a tipping point, and he starts worshiping. Friends, it wasn't until... He started worshiping, even though he didn't feel like worshiping. It wasn't until then that that he began to practice again the discipline of gathering with God's people. The discipline of worship that things turned around. 
And it's interesting because several things happen to him as he's worshiping. I mean, first, he he finds perspective. And I want to say to you, when you worship, it's in that worship that you find perspective in your life. Psalmist says this. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Truly, you have set them in a slippery place. You make them to fall to ruins, how they are destroyed in a moment. The psalmist says, as I was worshiping, it was in that moment that I was reminded that there is more to reality than the here and now. You know, that that today's assets, that today's fame, today's financial portfolios or whatever, that they are not the final word. In fact, at the end of the day, it was in worship that I realized that's not how you keep score in life. I realized as I worshiped, everyone is one heartbeat away from giving an account of their life before a sovereign God that created everything, that is all-powerful, that is just. And friends, his perspective changes in worship. He understands that every human being is one heartbeat away from eternity. You know, that's why this church is committed to reaching people that don't have a relationship with God. Because if you don't have a relationship with God, friends, it's a slippery place. No matter what, what they've got, it doesn't matter. It's slippery. I mean, every day I'm reminded of that. The reality has marked me. It's changed me. It changes how I see the world. It changes how I see other people. It changes how I see myself. Worship, friends, will change your perspective. I mean, do you, do you realize that your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, the ones that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, the, the people that you love or the people that you envy, that without Christ they're in a slippery place? Do you understand that? Do you realize that everyone's one heartbeat away from a holy God? It gives you perspective. We also know that in worship, the the psalmist is able to diagnose the condition of his heart. He says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was stupid and ignorant. Now, he's not pulling any punches here. I love the next line. I was like a brute beast toward you. I was like a brute beast. There's a guy I played ball with for several years, and he uh, always getting getting something new, and he he got a new dog. And uh, it was one of these uh, bull mastiffs. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're kind of like a cross between a dog and a horse. You know, they're huge. And uh, this dog was about a year old, 150 pounds. He named it Daisy. (laughs) I I mean, 
it was, it was too comical. Uh, this dog, he did everything he could to try and contain this dog. This, this dog was a brute. Daisy. Hmm. Just uh, crazy. But he said he did everything he could to try and get this dog to stay in the yard. He uh, finally put up a wooden privacy fence. And no joke, he said the dog just took the fence out. It would get excited, and boom, it would just go through whatever he, he tried. And so finally, he got one of the invisible fences. You know what I'm talking about, where they put the collar on the dog, and the, it beeps as you get closer to the property line. And then if you continue on, uh, it gets more rapid, and then the dog gets shocked. And so he said, Daisy... When she'd really get excited, she would start toward that, and as the collar is beeping, she'd just go faster. And he said she'd just break right through it, yelp, and then out, to, out and gone. And he said he kept turning it up and turning it up, the, the, the shock. And he said he finally had it as high as it would go. And he said the dog start running toward the boundary, the collar would start beeping, and she would just speed up, and he said she started through there, and he heard her yelp, and then he said she's kind of staggering. And then she wanders out in the street and gets hit. She's okay. All right, all right. <laughs> Had to take her to the vet, stitches, and all this. He said he brought her home the next day. She's out in the yard. Guess what? Same thing. You know, never seemed to learn. I mean, only a dog, right? The psalmist says, I was like that. I was like that. I, I let my heart and my mind violate God's boundaries. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. And he says, I was like a dumb dog at that point. I just gave in to, to my envy. I just gave in to bitterness. I just gave in to self-righteousness, you know. And friends, we think that way, don't we, sometimes? I mean, does that ever play well for you? Does that ever lead to life? Does that ever lead to, to satisfaction, fulfillment, joy? No. Only leads to pain and hurt and regret in life. The psalmist says, I was like a dumb beast at a point. And then I was worshiping. And while I was worshiping, it occurred to me, I don't want to live like that anymore. The psalmist says while, while he was worshiping, he realized he was on a destructive path. He remembered and realized that he wasn't alone in this. And I think that's something you figure out in worship, that you're not alone. The, the psalmist is kind of overcome with, with love for God as he's singing. And he, and he starts talking directly to God. Scripture says, says this, nevertheless, I, can, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You know, I'm going to guess he, he's kind of picturing God holding his hand as he's going through life. He says, you guide me with your counsel. You know, in other words, God, you keep me from making stupid mistakes over and over again. And afterwards, you will receive me with honor. Who have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. 
the idea there is not that he didn't want for anything, that he didn't need uh, food or shelter. But the idea that he's pushing at is that he doesn't need anything except what God wants to give him. You know, verse 26 says, my, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and a portion forever. In other words, I, I may not get the things that other people have, but that's okay. He goes, indeed, those who are far from God will perish. Yet put an end to those who are false to you. In other words, he, he's like, I got it, God. It is really clear to me now. He says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge to tell of all your wonderful works. Can, can you hear the psalmist? Psalmist says, what if I hadn't come into the sanctuary? What if I hadn't worshipped? I would have gone on in this bitterness of life. I would have continued making stupid, dumb decisions. I would have kept living an ungrateful life. I would have gone on allowing it to poison my soul. I would have thrown my life away had I not worshipped. Friends, it is the renewing power of worship. And I want to tell you, worship is a choice. It is a defining choice in life. A life that you have to make a decision on a regular basis. You know, this, there are weeks you are going to have in your life, and I've had them in my life, where I don't want to worship. I just don't. You know, you're out on the, the highway, you don't want to worship. You're at work and things go wrong. You don't want to worship. You're at home and the situation gets tense and you don't want to worship. You're having a bad hair day. You don't want to worship. You ever feel like that? How many of you have ever had, don't raise your hand, but ever had an argument with your spouse and your spouse says something like, you're so like your mom. You're so like your father. And you go, let's just praise the Lord right now. <laughs> How many singles have ever been out on a date and you're sitting across the table and you know it's not Mr. Right? In fact, it is Mr. Terribly, Terribly Wrong. And you're sitting there and you think, let's just praise the Lord anyway. Here's the truth about me. Sometimes I have to argue myself into praise. I can so easily travel down the road just like the psalmist. I mean, I just have to push myself sometimes. Here is one of the most staggering statements by Paul. And... Uh, He's writing to the church in Corinth, and he writes this. And most of the time, we just jump over this. But he says, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And, and here's what's staggering to me. Paul really means this. You know, Paul, Paul's kind of this wise psychologist about life, that he understands wherever the train of thought, uh, wherever our feelings, our perspective 
that wherever it flows, so goes our life. In other words, our behavior comes out of that flow of feelings and thoughts. And he says, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's why Paul's devoted to, to being a lifelong, all the time, worshiper of God. To allow God to saturate him with his goodness and his presence. And what I want to do real quick is get practical. And there's some things that may happen this week in your life. I mean, that could happen. And you are going to have to argue yourself into worship. You know, a situation like uh, someone hurts you. You know, they've wronged you. When that happens, where's your mind go? Well, I know where mine goes if I let it go on default. I begin to try and convince myself how bad they are. I focus on their flaws. I start revving up the revenge engine and throttle. Anybody else do that? I mean, it's so easy. You know, Psalm 16, uh, Paul and Silas, they're, they're preaching in Philippi. And uh, they are sacrif- they've been sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. I mean, they've given up everything. And it's in that town that they deliver a slave girl from an evil spirit. They heal her. Now, you would think that people would have been celebrating and excited. Oh, no. The guy that was exploiting this little girl, he's upset. Because he's watching a paycheck go. The crowd joins with him. And there's basically a riot, and, and Paul and Silas are arrested. Scripture says this. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let me ask you, had you been Paul or Silas, how would you have responded at this point? I mean, how would you be thinking at this point? You know, you're trying to serve God, you've sacrificed, you've given up the comfort of your home, and it results in you being attacked by a greedy con man, being arrested on trumped-up charges, being beaten and placed in chains, where are you going with your mind? What, are you, what is going through your mind? What, what's running there? Now, this is what amazes me. Scripture says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas have been beaten. They're bloody. They're imprisoned. And they're praying and singing hymns to God. Did you catch the last line there? The prisoners are listening to him. 
I figured they didn't have a choice. They couldn't change the channel, you know. But Paul actually meant what he said, praise all the time. Scripture says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Friends, oftentimes in Scripture, and it's been my observation in life, and it's been my personal experience, that worship is associated many times with a great outpouring of God's power in people's lives. You know, the jailer, he's, he is on full tilt. He's ready to kill himself because he figures all the prisoners are going to take off. And, and again, it's, it's interesting, but... Paul doesn't turn to him and say, well, I guess next time you'll think twice before you mess around with somebody. No, that's not Paul's response. I mean, because Paul's been praying, he's been worshiping, his heart is very tender, he is compassionate at that moment, and he extends grace. In fact, he welcomes the jailer who had just beaten him and imprisoned him to be a brother in Christ. This week, some of you are going to get hurt. And the question is, will you enter the sanctuary? Will you go to God? Will you ask God to help you take every single thought captive in your life to, to deal with, with the anger and the frustration? You know, to just go to God and say, I will affirm that you are the Lord even when I'm in a hurtful situation. And I want to encourage you, you've got to decide now. Do not wait till it happens. You have to decide now. Second situation is when you're disappointed. You know, when things don't work out the way you planned. Where does your mind go in those moments? Again, this is just my own thought. It's just how I think. I get disappointed. I very quickly can get into self-pity. I start feeling sorry for myself. I start feeling like a, a victim. You know, I, I tend to forget how God's blessed me, the gifts God's given me. You know, unless I enter the sanctuary and worship. Habakkuk, uh, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful book to, to read, but Habakkuk is a, a prophet of God, and he is looking at the devastation all around him, and he's disappointed Nothing is turning out right. It's, he's looking at everything. He goes, though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vine, though the produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. You have, you have to remember, this is agricultural society that he lived in total devastation total devastation they didn't have imports and exports you know they everything's in ruin it's a whole hopeless situation it's overwhelming loss and Habakkuk is looking at that and then he says yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will exalt in the God of my salvation God the Lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. 
no produce, no flock, no financial assets, no power, no status, none of that stuff. He realizes none of it's going to provide the octane that you need in life that only God, he says, my feet are like the feet of a deer and make me tread upon the heights. He realizes as he's worshiping that it's only God, that disappointment, friends, that God can overcome it. Hear this, people will let you down in life. Financial markets will fluctuate. Careers will go south. What are you going to do in those moments? I mean, I understand there's a time to grieve. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes says there's a season for that. There's a season for mourning and, and hurt and loss. But through those times, you need to worship. I mean, Habakkuk 3, uh, could, you ought to rewrite it for yourself. You know, you write it for your situation. You know, something like, though the Dow Jones drops 50%. Anybody think that one recently? Though Social Security runs out, though I'm unemployed, though I'm divorced, though I'm battling an illness, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. God is my strength. Friends, when you make a decision to worship, when everything's coming undone, it screams that there is nothing that's going to separate me from God. Nothing. So when you face disappointment, will you worship? One more situation. When you're afraid. When when I'm afraid, I get very tempted to give up. I look for the easy way out. I try and figure out how to escape, you know. When you enter the sanctuary, it changes everything. You know, there's a story told in 2 Chronicles. Uh, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And he's at war with his enemies, and they're numerous. In fact, they totally outgun him. And we're told early in the story, if you, if you read it, that he is afraid. He's afraid, but he commits himself to seeking God. And he asks the nation to fast and to pray. And Scripture says that the people stood before God. They established themselves with God. Men and women, husbands and wives, little kids. And that God spoke through a guy named Jehazel. And 2 Chronicles records what he had to say. He's speaking for God. He says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Here we go again. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down, what? And worshiped before the Lord. Next day, they're gathered. They're going to face their enemies. Jehoshaphat spoke to the people. He reminded them to believe in God. 
He reminded them that they weren't alone. And then he appoints a group of people to lead the army. He puts them on the front line. He says, I want you to sing praises to God. And I'm thinking at that point, I hope he picked people by good voices because I wouldn't have had to been there. But they, they get in front of the army and they sing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of fear, they worshiped and they praised God and things looked different. They realized that God was bigger than their problems. And friends, I know some of you are afraid. And the question is, will you worship? Will you worship? I mean, here's the deal. In each situation, worship came first, then transformation. Every single situation, when things were pressing them, worship won out. And I might tell you, worship always wins. Worship is an act of faith. It's a statement of trust that I'm with you, God, and I trust you for whatever's ahead. And friends, when your back's against the wall, when you're pressed, it's up to you. Where are you going to let your mind lead you? To live in envy? To live in discouragement? To live with resentment or or fear? Or are you going to let your mind lead you to the sanctuary where you worship God, a God that is bigger than anything? And I don't care what it is. Anything that you face in your life. Worship? Or not worship? Critical decision. As for me and my house, we'll worship God through whatever. And it is through whatever. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Our holy God, You are worthy of our praise. Your love endures forever and ever and ever. And God, I know we probably have as many situations going on in our midst that there are people that are afraid, people that are struggling, people that life has just knocked them silly. And God, I pray that we just keep coming back to the sanctuary. We keep coming back to you. And that we'd worship in the good and the bad times. God, I pray that your spirit would ignite us, that we would lean on you, that it wouldn't even be a question of whether we're going to worship or not. Our lives 
just automatically turn to worship. God, I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, we lift our voices to you right now in praise.